my Peter bound at Sailor's Town. I got my orders and lighted out. When I got down to Peter Town, we got me back, have a look around. I went south on Sevilla, in Lansing. It's the Lord's River, the Lord for me. Heard the air in Paris, I called out there. Welcome everyone to another episode of That Record Got Me. Hi, I'm your host Rob Elba. And yes, I'm sure you're tired of hearing me say this, but this is apparently this is how my voice sounds now. If you, I was thinking if you only listen to this uh, podcast for the past five episodes or so, you think, oh, okay, this is this is just what this guy sounds like. This guy must smoke a lot or something. But I don't know. I had the flu uh, a couple weeks ago, and I apparently I just cannot. My voice. This is what I sound like now. So we're just gonna deal with it. And it is what it is. Uh, I'm really excited about this episode tonight. I'm excited for the album that my guests pick, and I'm excited for my guests. So I'd like to welcome uh, guitarist, songwriter. He's played with many different musicians, including the three main ones that we're going to be discussing today. Uh, I think I think his most recent uh, release is the album Everywhere We Go. His second album with drummer Jim Keltner and bassist Mike Watt on the Big Eagle label, but there might be something even newer uh, right now. Uh, he also leads the band MSSV, uh, Main Steam Stop Valve, which also features Mike Watt and drummer Stephen Hodges. Welcome to the show, Mike Baguera. Welcome, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me, Rob. And just, uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of typo in this visually, but the album you just talked about is called Every When We Go. Usually oh, spell every, everyone, everywhere. I have that written down every when we go, and I just said everywhere, but I do, I actually have that, every when. you got auditory go. spell check going, I think. <laughs> That's even, and MSSV, did I say that right? Is, is that? Yeah, uh, you nailed that, you got it all. <laughs> Main Steam Stop Valve. Okay, awesome. And uh, now, my, here's a question for you, Mike. I was talking to my friend Russell Mofsky earlier, and oh, he yeah. said, so I hear you're having Mickey Bags on the show. Now, is that a real thing? Is is that like a nickname for you? No. Nope, not at all. It's no one not. No. <laughs> I said, does he have like some kind of mob nickname? Uh, but, Especially uh, not Russell Mofsky. <laughs> <laughs> so no uh, Mickey Bags. That's uh, not true. It's just Mike Baguetta. All right. So what uh, what is the album that we're talking about? Uh, well, we're going to talk about uh, Mike Watt's first opera, Contemplating the Engine Room. Yeah. Oh, so now you said his first opera. So has he written another rock opera since then? Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, the second one is called uh, The Second Man's Middle Stand, I think. And then the one after that is uh, Hyphenated Man. Uh, middle one, Second Man, and the last one with the Missing Man. Oh, okay. Hyphenated Man. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. I guess I, I wasn't even, I wasn't connecting with that, that, that can be considered a rock opera. And all right, b- before we get into this, let me, let me just, can I just say about Mike Watt. I feel like because he's been around so long and on the scene and he does so much, maybe people will just, oh yeah, that's Mike Watt and dismiss. But what a, 
magnificent artist he is and how he's so prolific and how he's so willing to just work with all these different people and just keep making music and somehow sometimes i think people take that for granted yeah he's very inspirational to me the way that uh, music plays a real central role to his life and the way he just want to keep helping out music as much as he can for sure right and and also in a way i, I feel like yeah, and I feel like he would he would uh, admit that a lot of it is just honoring uh, Dee Boom and uh, you know his friend, his best friend that uh, formed the Minutemen, and Dee Boom uh, unfortunately taken from us way too soon. And everything I feel like he does is, is in a way honoring him, and, and you know that he feels like almost like his duty. Uh, and, and that's kind of what this whole thing, this uh, uh, punk rock opera uh, kind of play to the engine room is is for and is about, really. Well, you know, uh, I mean, something that you have to ask him about, but this is definitely an important record for me for a lot of reasons in the way that I think about music and the way that I was able to kind of like start to realize how I could make the music that I wanted to. This record was like kind of like a four minute mile for me, you know, like, uh, I mean, I don't run, but as I understand it, <laughs> like nobody could run a four minute mile. And then, well, there's that movie Prefontaine with uh, Donald Sutherland. Isn't, isn't that, that's the first guy to run the four minute mile. And then all of a sudden everybody could run the four minute mile after right, that right. universal consciousness thing. So anyways, this album is really that for me because you know, I, we'll, we'll get into it, but I was kind of struggling with this idea about how can you make a really original music that combines all sorts of different influences, but not get bogged down with the idea of like genre or not feeling like you're trying to cop like one type of genre for one tune and one type of genre for the other tune. So this is like such a touchstone record for me because when I first heard it, I was struggling with this idea. And all of a sudden I heard this record and I was like, holy smokes, they did it. You know, here's a band that plays so many different types of music in the service of one overarching piece. And it always sounds like the people making up the band. It doesn't sound like, you know, here's the country track, here's the punk track, here's the classical track, here's right. the free jazz track. You know, it sounds like one band navigating a bunch of textural elements in the service of telling a musical story. And it was just a huge light bulb moment for me. Um, for sure. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So you weren't you weren't necessarily drawn in by the whole rock opera, you know, theme story of it, but but more the music itself. And in a way, the music itself is telling. I didn't even know it was a, a cohesive piece. Like I had a friend who gave me a tape because I was, um, you know, I was like in jazz school for a while when I was younger, and uh, but I always kind of leaned more towards the free improv kind of avant garde types of stuff, but. Uh, as a guitar player, I had already been aware of Nels um, Klein's playing a different sort of improvisation, sort of free jazz, noise settings, whatever kind of stuff. And I had a friend make me a tape of this this record because Nels was on it. He's like, "Oh yeah, check out his playing on this." And I was familiar with Watt from mostly from like Firehose because that was kind of the era that I came up like '90s. I was in high school, so that was sort of. So I was like, yeah, I'll check this album out. <laughs> and I listened to it and I was like, oh, this is a whole 
like novel. This is a whole heavy story. You know, I didn't even know to like apply the phrase opera to it at that point or whatever. But right. But it just it just had a really heavy impact on me because I was thinking about that musical thing, and right away I had that light bulb with that. But then it was also this moment of like, you know, can you be? I was probably like I don't know, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, something like that, and. And it was kind of these ideas of like, how do you be an honest artist? How can you be an honest musician that's like playing in a way that's honest to who you are? And, you know, it, hearing the story of this album in the songs, like everything's like hard on the sleeve. It was the whole the whole thing just came along for me, like right at the right moment and had a huge impact. You know, it's, it's top top five records that changed my life. You know? Wow. OK. Yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's so, to me, in, in listening to it, and uh, yeah, and, 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 and in uh, soaking in the themes and reading about, because basically, all right, it was released in 1997, and it's, it's, uh, it's loosely a, a rock song cycle that uses, like, Navy life as an extended metaphor for, for Watts' family history and his band, the Minutemen, and uh, the members of the Minutemen are, are, like, characters in it, and the cover art features a, a picture of Watts' dad in his Navy uniform. Yeah, and and to me, it's so personal, too. It's so, like, when you listen to it, you hear that Mike Watts' whole soul and being, he, like, put it all in here. And, yeah, and the other two musicians, you got Nels Klein and Stephen Hodges uh, playing with him, and just these three musicians are, like, just making this whole universe uh this story and this universe and it it, yeah it really is special so were you when you heard this were you you were probably aware of the minutemen already and and a fan or were you well like i said i had already known about uh hose before that because the 90s fire hose um and they were like a band that i really liked when i was in high school around that time right and then i had been exposed to somehow somebody maybe give me a cup again maybe give me a tape uh I was buying a lot of the records, I guess, at this point. But um, somebody gave me a tape of Double Nickels. So I knew that record in, in high school. I, I had actually learned the uh, guitar part to June 16th, that instrumental tune from Double Nickels. Okay. That's kind of a funny thing. Like June 16 is my birthday. I didn't know anything about Bloomsday. I didn't know anything about you know uh, Raymond having his birthday on the same day and stuff. So I just kind of learned that song uh, to learn it because it was also a great song with like great guitar sounds and like, tons of space and, and what I think might have been a guitar solo. I don't even know. It was such a kind of a strange thing to hear at the time when you're learning guitar. You're trying to learn how to play this instrument, all this stuff, and then one of the things that really knocks me out is this guitar sort of instrumental feature from the Minutemen where, you know, he barely, he kind of barely plays on the track. It's, and that really blew my mind that you could like not play that much and have a big impact on the music, you know? Right. Which is something I still probably struggle with, but. <laughs> now, were you already into jazz as well? And, and, and. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I grew up like, so musically I kind of grew up in the early nineties and for me, like, my music that I really felt connected to was like, uh, you know, Nirvana, Screaming Trees, um, but.
but then I'd also found a Jeff Beck record in my dad's record collection, that record Wired, that had a big influence on me. But at the same time, listening to what was, you know, I guess termed like the grunge sort of scene, um, but also, you know, checking out Led Zeppelin and the Stones and the Beatles and, you know, just having a, a wide sort of bunch of influences. My dad is like a big um, Chet Atkins guitar style fan, so I heard a lot of that music. And so when it came time to kind of think about doing music, you know, you're faced with that kind of thing, like, okay, Red Sox or Yankees, you know, oh, right, right. <laughs> like, choose, you know, you can't do everything. So you have to choose. And so I've figured it would be cool to kind of learn how to do like jazz music properly, because that's really difficult to sort of make it sound good without maybe dedicating yourself to learning stylistic language, I guess, maybe in a way. So plus I, I felt like I had to go to college and I could go to college for that and do guitar and do music and just sort of see what I could figure out with that. Um, you know, that's kind of the short version, but, but in the, at the point where I had gotten a hold of this album from my friend, it was like that whole thing was bubbling up. Like, you know, I'm not born and, you know, I'm not living in the 1950s, you know, I'm living in my life where I grew up listening to all this music that's really different that I have really deep love for equally. How do I form it into a musical identity that's not sort of like a fraud, a fraudulent cop-out thing, you know, like here I'm going to pretend to do this and now I'm going to pretend to be this kind of musician and then I'm going to pretend to be this kind of musician. Right. That never appealed to me, you know? I mean, the lesson of like Coltrane is like, how do you, how are you a totally honest musician and and speak your life through what you're doing musically, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting because uh, just hearing you say that it makes me realize because I'm I'm listening to this album and, and I remember I I listened to this when it came out and I remember liking it but I probably it was probably too much for me at the time like I couldn't even soak it all in but yeah, now uh, yeah but now really digging into it I hear exactly what you're saying because it doesn't it's not like you're saying oh this one is there a metal song and this is like a country thing it's no it's very original sounding but it's also very authentic sounding it's like you hear them these three people making creating this music uh right there and you hear it all and it's very and and it's just i don't know i don't know how to describe it but it's very authentic sounding and and totally not the thing where you're saying where oh you could hear their influence this you could hear that it's like no that that's not on this it's just so original and so well done yeah yeah it's a really special record it really is and uh now obviously nels klein i mean you can't say enough just his playings off the charts on this but also watts really when i'm listening to it i'm listening to watts bass playing it's like it's so good throughout the entire record yeah and hodges too i mean he plays his ass off in this. He I can't believe what he plays on this he's like the head dramatist of the whole band i think throughout this record right so was that part now you're i mean spoiler alert you're in a band with him now is that i mean was was <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's actually one of the oddest <laughs> things in my life trajectory. If I look back at that, um, no, it actually wasn't intentional. Really, uh, I guess the short version is that Watt and I had made the first record with Jim Keltner called "Wall of Flowers" back in. We recorded it in 2017, and it was going to come out in. 2019, early 2019, and I thought maybe we could do a couple of gigs for when the record came out. Um, and uh, you know, Jim uh, doesn't really travel to play much anymore, so doing like a tour with him was sort of off the table. And I thought, well, maybe we could do a couple of gigs, but it was kind of getting complicated to figure it out. And uh, I asked Watt, like, you know, would you still want to do a couple of gigs with a different drummer? Does that make sense, or is that kind of a weird thing? And uh, he was he was into doing some shows with some of the music and seeing what could happen with it. So I was trying to think, oh man, who would be great to play with? And uh, this that record, Flowers, came out on my friend Chris Schlarb's record label called Big Ego Records. Uh, we recorded at Long Beach Studio too, Big Ego Studio. And uh, he, I knew that he uh, had had uh, Hodges into do some sessions just for different artists that were recording at the studio. And I, th I think I asked Watt if he thought that might work. Like, would you know, would it, would it be fun for you guys to play together, doing some of this music? And actually, that whole time, kind of not even thinking about the Engine Room record, just because you know, like I already knew Hodges from the Tom Waits stuff, from the David Lynch stuff. Right, right, right. Um, so there was already like another context that wasn't the Engine Room album that I think I was maybe thinking of him in. And then I think maybe Watts was like, yeah, so he gave me his phone number and I called him and I hung out with Steven when he was playing in uh, Tennessee where I was living at the time. And he was into doing it and we got along and he was down to do the tour, which was 10 days, uh, 10 shows in 10 days, coast to coast in March 2019. And uh, yeah, I think sort of after I put it together, I kind of realized like, oh, wait a minute, this is, yeah. <laughs> this is interesting. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, you know, I, I had already told Watt that this album was like a big life-changing thing for me. And uh, we needed a little bit more music to fill out the timing of, of a set for this tour. So Watt uh, suggested we do a couple of tunes from Engine Room. So we actually played Liberty Calls and it says Old Man to the Old Man oh, nice. uh, every night on that tour. Uh, and so that was also like another heavy thing for me to, to you know, be able to say something original on these songs that had already meant something to me. I mean, the whole thing is really bizarre in a way for me to think about, like real full circle, and I don't really entirely know how it all happened this way, but... Um, oh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's amazing. That, that must be, yeah, that's kind of like living your uh, dream in a way, which is awesome. Yeah, it's, I don't know, I, I don't think about it too much. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. I also, you know, I've also known Nels a little bit off and on over the years, just some guitar stuff, and I think he moved to New York as I was kind of moving out of New York and uh, MSSV later did a 7-inch where uh, Nels joined us. Uh, it's called the um, MSSV meets Nels Klein on the Stripe Light record label. And uh, I wrote a song for us with Nels and then Nels wrote a song for us uh, with him for two sides of a 7-inch. So that was another really cool thing we were able to do together. Yeah, yeah, wow. You, you, you've definitely gotten to uh, play with some heavyweights, and uh, and and uh, that's awesome. But, uh, yeah, I'm really, let's let's get into this, because there's a lot of yes. uh, tracks on this. And, uh, yeah, we got 15 tunes. <laughs> I know, I know, uh, but it's awesome. All right, so it opens up uh, Dreamin', you mentioned Dreamin', and uh, it opens up Dreamin' as I'm steamin'. 
the waves of heat rippling off my back. Let's listen to In the Engine Room. Off of my back. Vapor lock clock stop time hangs limp for the membrane dream. And I engine room. Hey, oh. And we do it. Hell surely winks. Fireman Hurley as he slips from his shelf. Hey, earns your rate. Machinist mate. Now you're the left hand man. Of the boiler man and So he's setting it up. He mentions um, Hurley, Fireman Hurley, uh, Shirley Winks, Fireman Hurley, as he sips from the shelf. And hey, you earned your rate, machinist mate. Now you're the left-hand man of the Boiler Man. So yeah, this was his uh, thing. Uh, the Boiler Man in this story is Dee Boone. The Fireman is George Hurley. And Watt is the machinist. And, uh, and, and Machinist mate. Yeah, yeah. He's the same uh, rank as Dad. Oh, right, 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 right. The boat. So these are, these are like the three main dudes to kind of keep the engine room rolling, you know. And right. a lot of this, it's also really important to note that there's a book, well, there's a movie too, but there's a book called The Sand Pebbles by Richard McCann. I saw that. I, I, I saw that mentioned. The Steve McQueen movie, yeah. Um, and so this that book, that, that story is all about these guys in the engine room uh, teaching this, this guy, Pohan, how to run the engine and it's you know, turns into this whole story about like brotherhood and life and death and all this stuff. It's a really heavy story, but there's a lot of elements of that story that also kind of lay out life on the ship, you know, and what that's like. And that kind of plays a really heavy element. I, as I understand it in sort of the crafting of this story, it's a real, and I got to read that book. I have a copy of it right here. It, it's a real good insight into kind of the way things work as a team, you know, how you kind of have to come together for the good of what you're doing, whether it's running the ship or putting a band on the road. Right, or, right, right, right. Or whatever, you know. Uh, and Mainstream Stop Valve actually gets the, our name from the movie version of that book. There's a scene where they're talking about the Mainstream Stop Valve, which is one of the main parts of the engine that keeps the boat moving. You know? Ah, okay, nice. Look at so that. That's part of this, too. And the other thing that should be noted as we get into this, um, I don't know if you have the visuals there, but there's uh, there's a wheel with uh, pictures, and it's set up like a clock. Do you know about this? No, I don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Because I don't have, yeah, so, I, I uh, got the uh, digital uh, release of it, and yeah, that, that sucks. That all right, so th the whole thing is set, this, this opera, contemplating the engine room, is supposed to take place within a 24-hour time period. Oh, right, right. Okay. 
And so uh, Watts says when he was putting this together, you know, he set it up like a wheel and each slice of the pie of the wheel represents a different song, right? And it happens at a different time of day. So this first song in the engine room, he says, crack of dawn. On the actual wheel, it's marked 5, 5 a.m., right? And the picture that goes along with this song is the uh, machinist mate uh, patch. I don't know my military stuff, but Navy has got the three the three arrows, which maybe is what, like first first rank or whatever. Right. The engine wheel that's on there is the logo, the symbol patch for the machinist mate. So that goes with this track. So there's one for every track, right? And uh, they happen at different times throughout the 24 hour period of this piece. So I can tell you those times and those pictures as we go through here too. Anybody's got the vinyl, they did a vinyl issue a couple years back in the, uh, the chaff side of the records. Uh, the fourth side of the record. The music is on the first three sides. The fourth side, there's no music, but it's carved out like a wheel. So all these pictures and stuff are engraved in it. So oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't even have a record player anymore, but that would almost make me want to uh, buy the record and own the record. Yeah. This is just like you could pin this up on the wall. It's kind of cool. You know? <laughs> exactly. So I'll tell you the hours as we go. But this first piece, like, uh, I think this is kind of like the dream state setting the piece. Like, where Watts kind of in the engine room and there's a relationship to his dad because he's the machinist mate, but he's in there with his friends, you know, uh, uh, Boiler Man and Fireman Hurley. And they're talking about, he's talking about kind of being on, on the sea, you know, and there's that really beautiful bass thing that sets it up, which is kind of almost like a, you know, like a folk tune kind of thing from a faraway land, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and it comes in, and and occasionally it'll come in, uh, you know, as uh, rock operas will do, like towards the end, uh, it's they sort of uh, he sort of reprises. And the record with the same line, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah, that was that was a heavy thing too. You know, the connection that happens throughout this album is really heavy. It's great. I'm a sucker for stuff like that. I really am, and uh, and and it's so great. Um, all right, so then it goes into uh, the second song, Red Bluff. Let's just do a little bit of that. Surgeon man, and what a time to be born in for you, born man. Well, they wore torn swords, all hell. Well, red blood, red blood, red blood. All that noise is symbol, not so simple. And neighbor's door is just waiting for you. Alright, so it was 39 and what a time to be born in. But you were born then, world at war, tour and sore as hell, all hell. So yeah, he's he's t- talking about his his dad here. Uh, just uh, just to talk about the the playing in this. Nels, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm not gonna be the first person to notice this, but Nels Klein, uh, a, a lot of times I hear um, 
Richard Lloyd from uh, television. I, I I hear that, you know, I hear in his playing a lot of that, which is which is great, obviously. And uh, th- that comes out throughout the record, at least for me. For me, it's a touchdown. <laughs> yeah, I always heard a little more Tom than Richard in his playing. You know what? Maybe I just threw out Richard <laughs> Lloyd, but you're you're probably right. You're probably look, they're, both, they're both great, you know. <laughs> I would never. Yeah, well, you know, in, in listening to television records, I don't know who's playing what. So yeah. You're probably right. Yeah, well, especially that's true, that band. I mean, those two guitars definitely make up like one big guitar. So that's a really good point. Yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, but it's still, uh, it's so great. And just um, just listening to it, the the sound of, of this record is so good. Every it, it was recorded so well. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and whatever little sound effects they put in some, you know, the sounds of, of, of the sea and then storms and things like that. But it just the the music is always front and center. Yeah, I don't know too much about like the specific recording techniques. There are like some pictures online of them recording in the studio. Uh, I think Nils was using like a little Ampeg, like a little old Ampeg amps right. um, <laughs> with a couple of mics on it. But. Uh, and there's shots of like Hodges with like timpanis and tons of bass drums everywhere and all kinds of percussion and stuff. Um, so there was a lot going on for sure. I think also I remember Watts saying that they did one song a day maybe. Like oh, he would okay. come in and like they, you know, like Hodge and Nels maybe wouldn't know what they were going to do that day and he would come in and he would, he would talk about the wheel and he had a color for each song also. And he'd talk about what time of day it was. He had the picture, maybe, and then he would describe the song through the story with the words, and they would come up with their parts, and then they would record that song that day, and then I think that would be it, and then the next day they would do another one the same way. Oh, wow. It's pretty cool to commit that much time to one song, and I kind of rush through like 15 songs in one day, watching the clock and all this kind of stuff. I mean, that's a really cool, and, and I think also it really adds to the weight, the emotional weight of this record, that you have a day to sit with like this one little chapter this one little slice of the pie of the story. Right. You know, to really focus on that and what you're playing and what you're trying to give to the song. I, you know, it's kind of a luxury to have that much time these days to make a record, I guess. But, you know, I think overall, that's a really smart thing that led to like how much emotional weight is in this, is in all these pieces. Right. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause it, it, it is, there's, there's, there's no getting around that. Uh, there is so much emotional weight and uh yeah you you mentioned the colors and we go from red bluff uh to the uh, blue jackets which uh, apparently the blue jackets manual (laughs) is a training manual given to every new navy recruit yeah well you know on the cover on the record cover i think the um the black leather kind of like that's in back of the picture of his dad you know and on the back there's like a little picture the little drawing of red bluff and the in the sort of little flag with the arrows through it i think that's actually the blue jacket manual like that's the cover of it oh okay of his his dad's copy of it even and uh this is great because he sort of uh, does a parallel uh between that uh and then coming up in the la punk scene which which throughout the whole record there's that there's the parallels between the the navy life and that and then the touring life of a band is just it's just so great it's so creative but uh let's listen to a little bit of the blue jackets now
That's uh, uh, this song just kicks just kicks ass. I mean, it just it, it, it hard tune, yep, heavy yeah. tune. <laughs> and look, already like these first three songs, you get a really good idea of this idea of this thing we, we were talking about of like how it's not just going to be a rock album where every song is like you know sounds like a rock song per se. Right, right. But you've got the first song, which is kind of this like sort of sailors folk pirate tune almost kind of thing. You've got Red Bluff, which is almost kind of this little country-ish, Americana-ish, sorry to use that word, kind of thing. And then then you've got Blue Blue Jackets Manual, which is like just a really hard-hitting, heavy kind of tune. But you've got the same three guys playing everything, so there's this sound that, like, it doesn't sound like you have a different band on every track. It's not like they're mixed differently to sound like different types of music. It's just there's a really there's a thread running through everything right. that connects to each person that's making it happen, even though there's different contexts. Yeah, and you have also uh, we didn't me- I mean obviously uh, we didn't mention it, but what's uh, first thing he did he had uh, singers all these different singers, but in this he's singing everything, and it's like uh, you know obviously he's not known for his singing, but it just it, it's just perfect. I mean, you don't think so. I think he's known for his. It's pretty. It's pretty identifiable. I guess it's identifiable, but he's not known as a, a traditionally, you know, a great singer, amazing singer. I mean, that's that's just not. Uh... I think he's a great singer. <laughs> well, no, he's, I... no, he's no Josh Groban. <laughs> there you go. I think he would be. There's no barbershop harmony. Exactly. Exactly. No, he's not. But it's just the fact that this is so personal, deeply personal to him. I think just adds. Uh, you, you could hear his 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 heart and soul in in, yeah. in everything. And that's another thing. Like his first three songs already. Like it, you know, if you're really checking out the lyrics and the words and stuff, I, I wouldn't really know this till later. But like the story is pretty well clearly laid out. I mean, all that stuff is totally true. Right, 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 right. But about his granddad, like, you know, beating on his pop, like, I, that's a real story. Yeah. You know, getting out of Red Bluff. We stopped in Red Bluff for gas on, on one of the last tours that we did in MSSV. You know, it's way up in NorCal, like, above Sacramento. Oh, nice. Yeah, so, like, I got to see these places, you know, and, like, learn about this, this stuff over the years, you know. Uh, the next tune, Pedro Bound, there's all these sort of places that he names checks in Pedro. Like I've gotten to see a lot of those places. From right, just right. Being there and having some time to go around and check stuff out. So it's kind of cool if you can check out the lyrics and really listen to what's happening, but also know that it's like a totally true story. Right, right. There's not a lot of fiction, you know, maybe sort of the little dream state stuff, which is also another really influential thing to me. But um, but even that, it doesn't mean it's not true. It just means that it's not um you know, it's not like a everyday reality kind of thing per se. Right, but this is like a, a triptych uh, Pedro, which I I also love how how proud he is to be from uh, Pedro and how uh, invested. It's a cool town. It's a cool town. Yeah, yeah. But this is the Watts move to Pedro. Let's hear a little bit of Pedro about. Pedro Bound is a sailor's town. Got my orders and light it out. When I got down to Pedro Town. You bike to have a look around. Stop on the city till I hate Lance in. Stop it on Shepherd, point firm in. Heard the yammer in Paris. I called a loud man.
Crack of dawn with an orange sun I get flown one after one Sail down Mars Was my pen and pad Check the old palms Heard the ocean land At the trailer park Turned around and came back One of the one of the things I love about this is even when there's when there's no lyrics, uh, the the music, the guitar playing uh, and the bass playing together and with the drums, it's so lyrical and it's still it's moving the story along with with the oh, yeah. music. Yeah, I, I forgot to kind of keep up with the time check here. Like uh, Red Bluff is six a.m. Blue Jacket Manual is marked as eight a.m. Okay. Pedro Bound. 10 a.m. <laughs> okay, nice, nice. <laughs> you know, and the, the Red Bluff picture is actually the picture that I think his dad drew on the outside of that Blue Jacket manual. It's on the album cover. It looks like a little flag says Red Bluff inside. It's got a couple arrows through it, like Cupid arrows or something. Right. Blue Jacket manual. It's got a boot that's moving swiftly in motion as if to kick something. Maybe like a boot camp thing or getting a kick from a boot. Nice. Pedro Bound has an eye in a circle. Almost like a like a like a Masonic kind of thing, maybe. But that track, that track too, like Pedro Bound. If you go through it, you know, like um, he's talking about Point Furman, the parrots and Point Furman. You know, there's like all these parrots that live there. And they right, go right. On the he's talking about the path he walks, Royal Palms. He talks about seeing Catalina, Sunken City, Cabrillo Beach, Canetti's Warehouse One, Vincent Thomas Bridge. Fishing Fleet, Tug Fleet, Fireboat House. He talks about a local 13, Longshoreman. You know, like it gives you like a real clear picture of what kind of town this is, you know. Right. Now, I, I didn't even ask you, Mike, where did you grow up? I grew up in Agawam, Massachusetts. Massachusetts, Mass. okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so this all, must have, this all must have sounded very exotic to you, all these Californian <laughs> places. Well, in some ways, but, you know, New England has like a whole seafaring kind of history as well. Right, that's true. And uh, now we have the uh, Boiler Man. Uh, this is Watt Meets Boone, and I love this because it's basically he's telling the story about when uh, – when he first met uh, D. Boone, and it's so great. Yeah, this, and in the story, this is kind of like where the trans, you get a really clear transition, like the last three tunes had maybe been about his dad and his family and where right, they get right. there. And, you know, now in Boiler Man, you're actually hearing about Watt and D. Boone and Hurley and, and their whole life together. So there's been like an actual progression in time. First track, Engine Room, I've, I always felt like it was kind of this like, dream state almost kind of night sweats dream state fever dream kind of thing where everything's all mixed up together you know the next three tracks are about his dad and then now boiler man gets to him
that tree Had the curling wire Boy, how that spiel inspired Knocked me out, now I was slave Changed forever from that day Sang to me some Creighton song I was a man from then on I'm a lucky man Know that man, hell of a man, boy of a man Right, right. And uh, yeah, and I love uh, just it tells the story because, you know, most of us who know what know the story. Jump right out of that tree. Had the Carlin wired boy, how that spiel inspired. Knocked me out. I was slayed. Changed forever from that day. Sang me some credence songs. I was your baseman from then on. Uh, And on the chart, this one's marked at 12 noon. Okay. The logo is the Boilerman Navy patch. It's kind of a little like engine of steam coming out of two sides. Right. Uh, it's just so great. Just the creativity of him uh, putting this all together in his mind and getting it. And I just love that. I'm, I'm kind of in, in awe of that, that someone, you know, could do that and then get uh, two other people and get them on board with it. You know, okay, okay, this is what, this is what we're doing. And obviously, and he's the, he's the leader of it, but uh, could you imagine he could have gotten two totally wrong people for this and they could have fucked everything up. Yeah. They didn't, though. No, they did not. <laughs> they did not. And I guess, uh, so I guess Nels is playing one of D. Boone's uh, Telecasters on this one. Oh, yeah, that's actually really interesting, and you can hear the different sound. It's only on the solo sections right. where he's playing D, uh, I think, uh, one of his Telecasters. Yeah. And so if you know about guitars, you can hear that, that you know, Telecaster bite. Right, you know, right, exactly. The solo that starts the song is Telecaster. There's another one in the middle that's, that I think is a Telecaster. Also, because you really hear this difference in sound. Yep. All right. So now we have Black Gang Coffee, and we didn't we didn't mention that Watt kind of called this this band here, uh, Mike Watt and the uh, Black Gang, uh, and Black Gang was sort of a uh, slang for the Navy engine room uh, guys uh, personnel. Yeah, I th- I, don't, I think it's because you get all like dirty and stuff from right, 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 right. <laughs> too because uh you know like this band is so like the way they play is so central to the music and making it work like you just said but i don't think they ever did a whole tour together there's one gig where there's a recording of there's a live gig i think it's uh i think it's in long beach actually right um, right yeah which is great to hear which is with 
Nels and Hodge, and but also Joe Biza is added. So it's two guitars. And I think after that, all the tours they did, I think it was Joe Biza on guitar. Uh, and then I think the stuff Hodges couldn't make, maybe Bob Lee was playing drums on some stuff. So there were like some personnel changes. But what's interesting is on that one live gig in Long Beach, where it's the where it's a four man opera with uh, Joe Bison added, you can hear him. You know, he kind of had to learn some of the parts from the record, obviously. And for me, just as a guitarist, it's always kind of interesting to hear like how somebody would go about that, just from like a you know like a very serviceable point of view. Like when I have to learn someone else's parts to do a right. tour. Even record or whatever right and you can hear Biza like learning these parts from the record and playing some of these parts and he's also like adding his own thing to it and just killing it on that live gig uh you know and then when you see some of the footage like some of the stuff that's on YouTube uh from that um tour I think there's at least a few videos out there I've seen uh to hear Biza playing on that you know once they're in tour mode it's like he's doing his own thing with the songs and it's awesome and it's just as cool as the record and but in a different way. Right. Like, you know, that's so real inspiring to me that, that he can kind of step up to rise to that occasion, learn the parts, and then turn it into how Joe Bison started playing that music and make his contribution to the to the thing. It's always really, really cool to, to hear. Yeah. I feel like that's the kind of people Watt's going to surround himself with, is people that is someone that's not, not just going to learn uh, what Nell's played note for note and play it. That's uh, that's not the uh, cats that... Well, there's leaders that are different. There's there's some people that would only want you to... I mean, yeah, he's, he's not like that, but I think a, a lot of people that understand how musicians work their best or maybe like how art is best made, if you wanted to talk about it that way, you know, you realize that trying to make somebody do something that isn't honest to them is not really like an easy way to have a successful creative endeavor you know but but some people need to have that kind of idea that things have to be very particular and very much the same and so yeah i mean you can easily get into a situation with certain types of people where you're not really allowed that sort of artistic freedom or that creative freedom but obviously it's not totally that situation. I mean, yeah, there's stuff you got to play. You got to know when the chorus comes in and whatever, but, right. but yeah, I mean, I think to me, in my experience, the people that have always, that I've been able to work with that have had the best creative experiences are the ones that realize that you have to be allowed to be yourself within the context of whatever it is that's happening. Right. You know, like I tell those guys in MSSV, like I, I will make, I'll make demos and send it to them for the song, but I always tell them like, this is just, like a nonsense guide of something I've done in my mind that I think would sound good for you playing. If you have a better idea, please bring it, please change it. Right. Because right, anything right. you're going to do is going to be way better than what I'm going to think that I'm going to ask you to do. You know? Right, 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 right. All right. So a uh, top siders, this is cool. It's sort of Watts salute to uh, his and, and the Minuteman's fellow SST uh, artists and, uh, and uh, people that work there when a black gang man climbs up the stairs sticks his head out the hatch now what does he see Topsiders. i get to thinking and what am i blown all the folks that float this boat sure we're all brothers both different gigs and the engine room was mission man Took the hitch, black and crew, delivering torque right to the screw. Under the deck, we had top size feet, everyone wailing their own beat. And it's just like he goes through them. He goes through uh, um, 
you know, uh, so many people that played in uh, SST. Now, were you into other uh, things like that? Were you into, you know, the the people that he name checks and the other SST artists? Yeah, for sure. But I, I kind of allowed myself to get into it later. Um, right. When I, when I was earlier on, it was kind of like I knew, I was aware of these bands. You know, I was aware of Flag, I was aware of Husker, I was aware of like some other things, but right. I didn't really go back and check it out too much until maybe I was into my 20s for whatever reason. I mean, yeah. there's just so much music. Like, uh, I was born in 79. And so I'm also kind of like trying to learn jazz with a capital J. I'm also interested in lots of different types of quote unquote classical music. I'm interested in country music. I'm interested in types of rock music. I'm interested in types of folk music. I'm interested in African, West African music, especially. So, <laughs> you know, like, there's so much stuff to go back and listen to and to check out. And especially now, okay, like now I'm I'm coming up when I'm like really conscious of like different music and checking things out. We're already into the 90s. So there's all this history of all this different stuff. So I would kind of get into phases where I would only check out this type of music for a while. Right, right. Six months, eight months, a year. And then I'd check out something else for the next six months or eight months or a year. And then I'd go back and I'd check out other things. And it wasn't always like from a historical perspective. Sometimes it was like, you know, what's happening right now that I'm into? What band is out right now that I'm into? And what other bands came up with them without realizing, or without like thinking like, oh, I need to know the whole history of SST before right, I'm right, 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 myself right. to go check out something that's happening today. Uh, somebody could take that approach and it could be cool, but that just wasn't how I did it. Right, right. Um, yeah, but you know, Meat Puppets are in the list and they were they were kind of still around then for sure uh, in the 90s making music, so I was aware of them. I yeah, well, them. I could see you, I, I could under, I, I could obviously see why you would be drawn to the Meat Puppets. Yeah, I love the Meat Puppets and also... Dinosaur Jr., that was a big one for me at right, that time. Right, right. Actually, you know, I learned about Nirvana because, uh, I learned about uh, Meat Puppets because of Nirvana, you know, and they did oh, the right, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, they had uh, the Kirkwoods on and they played a couple Meat Puppets tunes. Learn about Folks go and they die, they don't go to heaven where the angels fly, go to a lake of fire and fry, see him again, tell the 4th of July. And so from there, like everybody else my age, that was exactly. like, oh, who's 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 <laughs> yeah. they've already got like 50 albums out, you know. <laughs> I'm older, yeah, I'm older than you, so I knew, I, I, I did know. People. people come to it in different ways, you know, from different eras, you never know how people are going to get into this oh, stuff, yeah, but yeah. the important thing is that you get into it. Well, yeah. Well, what I was going to say was I, I remember uh, specifically I, I, I was into like punk and SSD. But when I heard bands like the Minutemen and the Meat Puppets, I even then like I, I'm not a jazz guy. But to me, a lot of that stuff sounded jazzy. You know, I would say, well, well, this is different. This isn't like your uh, your standard fair punk at all. You know, it's so different. And uh, yeah, just uh, you know, and, and I'm sure there's elements of, of jazz and there's and there's a country and folk in there, but just from a different approach. And I'm I, I'm imagining that's that's something that drew you to it too. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, like you know, the way that especially guitarists can use different effects, and then the way that kind of they let the noise into the music was always really attractive to me. Right, right, right. Um, like actually, and that's definitely on this record for sure. But one thing I've been thinking about a bunch lately is. Uh, that last um, Nirvana record in utero, which we're not talking about today, but you know, like on, uh, there's a lot of parts on that record where Kurt's guitar playing 
is like total like way out avant-garde outer space noise improv very, kind of right scene. very noisy you know and he's not you know nobody thinks of them as like a coltrane cover band or something you know what i mean right. but there's elements of that type of avant-garde noise stuff that works so well juxtaposed against a song a quote-unquote song Right, uh, and that stuff has always been really attractive to me. I hear a lot of that in Dinosaur. I hear a lot of that. I mean, obviously Sonic. You know those guys. Um, I hear a lot of that in this record. Right, it's the, the a beautiful noise uh, concept. The concept of beautiful to me. That's yeah, and to me that's really like related to to jazz. That's related to late Coltrane. That's related to Sun Ra. That's related to all that kind of stuff. You know, in a big way. All right, so this so this is one that you uh, you got to play uh, with them. No one says, uh, which I love this. I just love this song. I love that no one says "old man" to the old man. <laughs> it's a beautiful song. This one is 1500 hours. Okay. Beginning. Now, this is one thing I don't have. A, do you know who it references or is, is it referencing someone uh, specific? Because that I really couldn't find. Uh, well, he talks about Mr. Handley, which, uh, uh, let me remember, is a lawyer. And uh, I think Wap is like kind of clerking for him as a, oh, as a okay, job okay. at one point. So when he, he actually, there's a conversation in the song, you know, Mr. Handley, would you defend a man you knew was guilty? Right. That's why the question he answers, Mr. Watt, I'm not going to answer that, but I will say this. Maybe it's more a question of how much guilty and how much innocent. So again, you have a real conversation that took place with real people in the middle of this song. You know, I imagine like surface level, it's about the captain of the ship also. Right, right. And and also, uh, just in this one, there's the really pretty, delicate playing between Nels and, and Mike on this one, uh, where they just uh, dial yeah. back, and it's just so... For sure. There's a, a, at least one video of the first, well, what became FSSV, me and Watt and Hodges. We, I don't think we had that band name yet. Or maybe we had the band name a few days, like halfway through that first tour, <laughs> right. but the Wallflowers tour. But there is some video you can find... Uh, Actually, of the one we used for the record, the first MSSB record is a live record from the tour called Live Flowers. Uh, actually, I, it is MSSB, um, but that's taken most of the Philly gig at Johnny Brenda's that uh, the guys at Ars Nova Workshop put on. But you can see that there's a video of that track specifically that went on the record. And it's really interesting to watch, listen to just for me, because 
you know, this is a good example of what we were just talking about. Like, this is a, this is a record I've probably listened to like you know a thousand times in my life. No exaggeration. You know, I know it inside out. It's shaped a lot of the choices I make. It's you know, I keep saying it. It's like changed my life musically and otherwise, oddly. But now I have the problem of like, okay, how do I play this song without playing stuff that is not from me? Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, and there's the idea of like you can't unring the bell. You know, like okay, I've I've heard this bell a thousand times. How am I not gonna play that? Yeah. But there is some stuff in his playing that I consider like part of the song, like the little intro guitar stuff. I think oh I yeah, right, right, yeah. But all the sort of the other kind of little little sounds. I remember Watts said that he told Nels he he wanted his guitar to sound like the people on the uh, you know on the in the bottom of the ship. You know, kind of like <laughs> right. you know e echoing through the. You know, the whole boat or watery types of sounds or something. So it was a direction that I was able to kind of take to some extent, too. And, you know, like I consider these guys my friend. Like I'm buddies with Watt. I'm friends with Hodges. You know, there's no sort of like weird relationship kind of like stressor kind of thing happening. Like if he's going to entrust me to play the song, I'm going to do my best to bring to bring it, you know, honestly from myself because I owe that to him, you know, so. So yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting thing to listen to a song so much that shapes your life, and then have a chance to play it later with most of the people in the band. Right. <laughs> yeah, and and still you want to put yeah you're you're going to put your own and, and still be original. Yeah, still, right. Still of course, do, do because it you justice, yeah you know? because you have to. Um, all right, so uh, Fireman Hurley, we have a little tribute to George Hurley. Topsiders is kind of that is this little creepy bass line kind of minor sneaky sounding mystery song you know and then you've got no one says old man like sort of the ballad although it's got that heavy middle part that comes up and then you've got fireman hurley again sort of this kind of almost like i don't know 60s popish style kind of tune i don't really know like what to even say about the style but it's kind of maybe almost kind of maybe actually this one is sort of like motown you know yeah yeah well it, it it's very joyful sounding to me. It's it's, it's it is totally, intricate yeah, it's and totally really joyful. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I just love um, rope trick man. I'm your left hand man. Swing that stick, boot that kick. <laughs> I mean, I love. You could hear. I mean, uh, what uh, you you could hear what in that. You know, that's that's uh, just how he talks. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. So Liberty calls uh, this one to me. This one perfectly captures uh the feeling uh, you know the feeling of freedom and adventure of being on tour with your friends yeah 
Yeah, and uh, when he talks about me and the Boiler Man, uh, which is uh, D. Boone uh, checking out the other lands with, with what? Our liberty. Liberty calls on liberty calls. This is like you get some time off of work, right? Uh, right. And you get to go off and be off the <laughs> ship. So yeah, it's called you know, lib- that's liberty time, liberty, right? So this is like you're stuck on the boat six weeks working in the engine room, and now you've got the chance to get out of the ship and kind of party, right? So that's that's the deal, man. You know what? I think about it as the gig because all day long you're trying to get to the gig. That's what I always thought about it as. You know, now and then you finally get there and you get to actually like make music with your friends. You get to play on stage. You get to give it 110%. That's what I always thought about it as, you know. Yep. Um, and now I feel like the rest of that uh, record gets heavier. Gets uh, gets heavier. This one. Is- oh, for sure. Yeah, at this point. Actually, this is this is one of the heaviest things musically for me in the record from this point on. Like the last sort of like five, five I guess right. it's five gigs. Right. Six tracks, if you count the next one, is two. But the next five tracks, what happens musically was a big influence for me. And like we, we should talk about it now before we go on. Yeah, do it. Actually, Liberty Cost is uh, 1,800 hours, by the way. Okay, okay, nice. Fireman <laughs> Hurley is 1,700 hours. But, anyways, uh, the next songs, they actually start at midnight. Zero oh, okay. Hour in the so that's kind of interesting because, of course, that's that time of day where. You know, maybe the day's over, you're sleeping, or there's like nighttime feelings going on, like mystery, mysterious kind of stuff or whatever. Yeah. Stuff. But musically, what happens here is big for me because as we'll hear, um, when we hear the songs, like all everything that's happened already kind of starts to get jumbled up. It starts to get mixed up. So there's oh, okay. a lot of these songs where pieces of other songs that happened before, they kind of come back. But they come back in these like really strange sort of mishmash ways where you don't really know if it's going to be that song again or or why is this happening or actually I think there's parts of like songs that come later like Shore Duty that last song I think there's some elements of that song that come before yes. we actually hear that song too so this idea was really interesting it was another really heavy thing that's been a big influence on me this idea of like when you play music and especially like in an imp- improvisation setting like if you're improvising with musicians not like jazz necessarily but just improvising right you know one great way to make it sound like a cohesive piece is to sort of reference musical things that have happened previously in the improvisation or that perhaps are a little guide to point to where your improvisation is going to go with the people you're playing with and so for me like yeah you can do that sort of motivically like when you're playing you can remember like oh i played two notes 
back then I'm going to play two notes here and then I'm going to play two notes later. Great. You just made a composition, right? Right. But uh, one thing you can do like with electronics and sort of like live sampling with different sort of like electronic devices is you can actually hold little bits of information you played before and then you can play them back in different ways. Maybe you can play it back, you know, backwards, you can change pitch or you can change speed. So it's sort of this little mangled element. It's like an element of something previously in the history of the song, but now it's seen through a different filter and it's it's changed, but you don't really know how or you don't really know why. And that reflects that idea of like a dream state to me, you know, that that point in time where maybe you take a nap and you maybe you wake up, but you don't know if you're awake yet. Right, you right, right. If you dreamed was real or if it was a dream, is that little split second moment where you're not sure. And I really love that that moment. I love the feeling of that. It's really hard to get to it in like real life a lot, unfortunately, I think. So that's an element that's really important musically to me. And I I kind of solidified my idea to really approach that in the way I play music from this last section of this piece. And also from uh, another record we're talking about today by a guitarist uh, composer named David Torn. He has a record called uh, What Means Solid Traveler. sort of like live sampling, uh, live sort of resampling and sort of building textural compositions with material that he's already played that sort of lead the song into the next area in some ways. Right. Um, it's a pedestrian uh, explanation for it, of course. But <laughs> but I feel like from that record and from Torn, I got the idea like, oh, you can do that and you're playing. But from this last five songs of this, this album, Engine Room, I realized you can do that in a band with a large work. And that was really, really important to the way that I think about music, These last, this last section of the song. And of course, you don't get to this section without the context of everything that's come before it. Right, you know? right, right, right. Like you're, you're in the place you're in because of every place you've been before, right? So you, you can't really just listen to the last five songs and understand that without hearing the whole rest of the, the thing, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it just it, it, it just makes it all so much uh, so much heavier. And yeah, to me, this just feels so uh, personal uh, when he's, you know, the part. Look, boy, you married the Navy. It's your life. Can't make that lady your Navy wife. song you know like bunk, the bunk room is kind of that the bunk room song i think is kind of that like quiet sort of out of time 
free textural thing. But then there's a little strumming, little country folk tune, the Navy Wife part that kind of comes in. Of course, like on the record, it sort of pans left to right. Right. But then it fades back out, and you're back in this like sort of dreamland of the first song. Right. Right. That's what you do. That, that's what I get. I get like like he said, sort of in between the dream state and awake. Or like, am I awake? Am I dreaming? Yeah. And I didn't know till I saw it later that it's actually midnight on the wheel. Right. Okay. So that's a, that kind of added element to that. Well, yeah. That, that's what, what I was going to say is it's really interesting how this uh, uh, how this whole album affected you so much musically, but you didn't really the the whole story and everything you sort of got later on as you kept revisiting us. I guess you learned more about it, but it just sucked you well, in. You shouldn't need, right I don't away. think you should need like all of the addendum to get the to get the heart of the matter of any really like effective piece. Right. You right, know, right. like it, if you have to explain why something is great to somebody for them to actually feel as great, you've kind yeah. of missed the mark. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. if you hear it and it's great, you'll feel like, oh wow, this is really great. You know, it, you shouldn't need the explanation. I mean, it just, yeah, like sure, there's all, there's like the wheel and the colors and the pictures and the story. Like that's all sort of, to, to me as a, as a listener removed from the personal aspects of it, like that was just sort of icing on the cake. Obviously, yeah, it helps you understand it better. And, and there are all these really interesting things that go along with it. But, you know, the whole work is great anyways. You know, if you want to dig into it, yeah, there's these little extra things that kind of can help help your understanding of it along for sure. Yeah, yeah and just make it richer. Um, all right, yes, so we have yeah. uh, Crossing the Equator. Polywog, and now you're a shellback. I I wasn't sure what what he's uh, what he. There's means. a thing I don't really know about. I'm not like a navy guy, but there's there's a thing about like when you cross the equator for the first time, that's like a like a coming of age. Right, um, right. And it's like you know, a right rites of passage kind of thing. Oh yeah. So there's like a thing that happens when you cross the equator for the first time. You know, right. Like, like you're you're changed now in some way. Yeah, and 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 now and yeah, and, and like I feel like now it just gets really heavy with. Uh, you're a baby, and now you're you're a man, kind of thing. But and that song too, like now, okay, so now crossing the equator, there's even more of this sort of callback stuff happening as you go through it. Like uh, I think crossing the equator, it's like there's there's element like musical elements from Fireman Hurley, from Pedro Bound, from Topsiders. Right, 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 yeah. From Shore Duty, I think there's like elements of that stuff that in those songs that now gets mixed up in Crossing the Equator, you know, bass lines, chords, different drum grooves. It's like a very uh, Lynchian kind of experience, you know, e even more so from Pink Room, Navy Wife, uh, which had a little bit of those elements. But now you're more in the mix of these things getting all jumbled up. And you know it's funny on the wheel, like crossing the equator, it looks like 
uh, maybe 3.45. It's like a little bit before 4, 4 okay. hours, you know, and the picture, of course, is the zero line, right? Right. Uh, all right. So now we have breaking the chokehold, and this is a... 400 hours. A, a drowning man can pull you under along with him. No thought or reason, emotion seizing every limb, breaking the chokehold. I think there's a lot of ways to look at it, you know. I mean, I think it's also kind of like letting go of something that could harm you because that is the literal thing. Uh, there, I think he was telling me, uh, try to make sure I don't misremember these things. Like sometimes <laughs> That's fine. I think what I remember is in the, in the manual, there's a, this thing about breaking the chokehold, which is like if you're... If you're trying to save somebody who's gone overboard from drowning, you know, you got an arm out on them or, or they're holding on to you, you know, like they're about to fall off the ship and die or they're in the water and they're going to die and they're holding on to you and you can see the fear in their eyes and they can't let go. The idea is you can't allow them to drag you under and also drown you with them. Oh, so right, you really right. have to break the chokehold and let them go, even though that's... You know, the implication is like that's obviously like a really hard, difficult thing to have to deal with in right. the moment. <laughs> you know, you have to understand that like if you don't, if there's no way to save this person, they could kill you and you have to find a way to break that hole and let them go. A drowning man can pull yonder along with him. No thought. Or reason, emotion season is every limb breaking the chokehold, breaking the chokehold, breaking the chokehold. You know, think about that. That's pretty heavy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the implications in life, of course, are, are rife with situations we can all think of that can sort of mirror that. So, yeah, I mean, as far as what he was exactly thinking, I don't know. But, I mean, that's a pretty heavy topic for a song. And I think it's one of these songs where, like, we can all find our own relationship to, to what it is. Oh, yeah. It's just very, it's it just like like we said, it just gets so heavy, the end of uh, this, this last couple of uh, songs. And, uh, and and now we have wrapped around the screw, which which honestly I wouldn't know unless I actually read it and read the lyrics. I don't think I, I would get it. I would get the connection, but it's basically it's it's the sad and unnecessary death of D Boone at 27. And it, you know, in the story of this, it's overboard. It's it, it's someone going overboard uh, on the ship and and you know dying uh, dying that way. But uh, it's just, oh my God, it's just like...
screw is like if you fall on an engine. Yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah, because he went over like the got, literal, got, Your body is like literally wrapped up in the engine machinery. Right, right. But yeah, I mean, we're look, we're at the point in the song where it's death. You know, it's probably maybe the death of his dad is in there. Obviously, the death of his friend is in there. The death of you know, however much of your life you put into a relationship with someone else is in there. You know, I mean, right. yeah, I can't. I, I look honestly, I have no idea how he made it through like singing this record. You know, because as a, as an outsider, you feel it. So obviously, like to make it is such a personal statement. But again, just like musically and wrapped around the screw, you've got more of this sort of guitar noise kind of stuff happening. You've got drum right. noise, right. And sort of like improvisational noise. You've got elements of the Topsiders song coming back inside, wrapped around the screw. So you've still got this callback foreshadowing thing happening from the material that's, that's come before. So musically, again, this is like just part of that really heavy string of stuff. I guess kind of self-referential to the piece. But that kind of ties it together. Yeah. And this, by the way, uh, I, these last two, Wrapped Around the Screw and Shore Duty, they share a graphic, which kind of looks like maybe like fog or haze off of the coast. Okay. And these both take place at 420, uh, 4, 420 a.m. 420 hours, I guess. Uh, and this is the last, this is, this is the only two pieces that share a graphic. Um, oh, okay. Share a time, which is kind of interesting because maybe the story between these two songs, Raptor and Street and Shore Duty, are so connected that they, that they kind of go together. The unforgiving sea Tore you from me Left me here for Yeah, because they both, yeah, to me, it's just, uh, again, it's so raw and it's so honest uh, when he talks about the unforgiving sea, tore you from me, left me here, pulling shore duty, your body gone, uh, but your spirit bird sailing on shore duty. So for me, again, I'm speculating, but for me, this is why Watt, because I'd read, I'd, I read Watt saying that he felt like he had to make this out. Like he felt like he, he was compelled to do it and he had to do it. And to me, I, I feel like this drives him. Like whenever, when, when he's been on the show a couple of times and he'll always talk about Dee Boone and he'll always, you know, talk about his friend. And I feel like he produ- he almost feels like it's his uh, duty. Like he talks about duty. It's his duty to keep producing and creating and making music with different people to, to like honor his friend who's not here anymore. Like uh, that's his duty. Yeah, I don't know. 
<laughs> you have to ask him. Well, he'll, I, knowing what, he'll, he'll listen to this and he'll, and he'll say, well, you didn't really, you didn't get that right. <laughs> but that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I can't speak for anybody, but I, I mean, I, you know, it's rare that you meet someone who has such a clear purpose in life. You know, I'll tell you that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This song, this is actually a really interesting part of this record for me too. Shore Duty, it's such a beautiful song, like musically, it's, it's got pretty chords, it's right. got a pretty feel. It's again, kind of that free sort of time, no time feel, which Hodges does really great on the drums, um, which he's been able to add to some MSSV stuff like really, really successfully. Uh, but sort of that kind of playing time, playing no time kind of feel, textural sort of color thing that he does so well. So there's elements of that in this. Obviously, Nels is playing the guitar really gentle with a beautiful sound. I think actually, maybe you said uh, baritone guitar on this track. And the, the message of the song, like you've already read, you know. But what's most interesting is that, like on the wheel, right, it's 420. In the engine room, starts at 5 a.m. And at the end of this track, Shore Duty is the bass line that starts the record from engine, engine room. Right, the melody, right, basically. Right. The melody that starts in, in the engine song that starts the record so if you think about this whole piece as a 24-hour piece on the wheel of the clock as it's laid out what happens after the song shore duty i mean he even plays it at the end it starts over right yep. it starts over at 5 a.m you're in that fever dream in the engine room right can we do it yeah we can do it says his friend yes yes you know, and later in like boy in the boiler man song, I think he he says something like, can we, you know, I can I can do it with you or together with you. I think I I think we can. Yeah. In the engine room song, he asks, can we do it? And the reply is, we can do it. That happens in 500 hours, which comes after shore duty. So to me, and, and I actually thought this before I got the wheel thing going on. And nobody <laughs> talks about okay. this when they talk about this record. I always thought it starts right over again. Right. Just like every day starts right over again. Right. Like right. you have this, you listen to this album, you hear about the history, you get into this whole thing, there's tragedy. At the end, there's this feeling of like, I don't know if it's hope or optimism, but it's not like, there's not a message that it's over. And in fact, there's a message when he hits that melody, the bass melody at the end, there's a message that it starts again. The whole thing starts again, right over again. Right. There's no pause. Yeah, yeah, and 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 yeah. That's how I've been experiencing this all week because I've been listening to it. And even though there's a lot of songs, there's a lot. It's just you go through it, and then it. Yeah, I, I would have it on repeat, and as soon as Sure Duty was done, it would go start right again with the in the engine room. And yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's just sort of this. So the, it's always been a circular story to me, right? As a listener, as an outside listener, you know, it's always been like this thing happened. It ends. There's this tragedy, but but there's still more. And then it starts over. It could almost be like a different story every day. Like you could almost make a different opera, 24 hour opera for every day. You know, I, I mean, that'd be like a, kind of a tall order to actually do that. But <laughs> you know, the, the, the implication is like, yeah, you keep going. So it happens again. And for me, that was what I always got from the story. That was like the best sort of like, uh, you know, parable at the end was like, even though all this terrible stuff happens, you know, you're still here to continue the work. Right, right. right. Which, which actually, I think is like you know, when we, we just lost Wayne Shorter, I think he said something like that at the end. I'm going to come back to continue the work. Yeah, you know, like these are not like uh, 
ideas that are just isolated. These are ideas that exist in the universe and the world and people express them in different ways. So that was always kind of the coolest part. You know, you've got all the material, you've got the end where it gets all jumbled up and there's all these callbacks and foreshadowing only to let you know that it starts over right away. Right. So just not even just me was as a touchstone for me, but just like life lesson wise, it was a big touchstone for me as well. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. I mean, that's that's basically that's that's literally what this show is about. People, you know, when I say that record got me high, I mean, yeah. So uh, that's great to hear that this had such an effect on you. Yeah, this record's like always satisfying. You know, I I never put this record on and feel like it's not like I have to stop everything. I have to stop everything and listen to the whole thing. I always, it's always like a big deal. It's oh, always yeah. like. Yeah. It's always like going to see a movie for the first time. You know, right. it's crazy. There's not a lot of records that that do that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. All right, all right so you have a lot. You have uh, what's the what's the most recent thing going on with you? Because it's hard for me to even keep track. Like I said, I tried. I, I went to your website, but I think you even have something. Uh, do you have something like new that's that's out right now or that just came out? Yeah, there's a new record that just came out with a, a new band I'm in uh, called Dumbass Youth. That's this is it, like a, a co-op trio with a. Uh, in my opinion, a crazy genius uh, wordsmith uh, drummer, guitar player named Steve Gigante, and a, a bass player named Evan Lipson and myself. Um, we made a record uh, right before I moved from Knoxville, Tennessee, almost two years ago now, where both of those guys still live. Uh, we did a recording at uh, Stripe Light um, Studios, which is uh, also the record label this just came out on. Actually, it comes out April 27. I don't know when this airs, but you can pre-order it right now. Okay, nice. But So that's our first record. Um, that's available. Uh, we have a website, dumbassyouth.com. Um, and there's links to take you to the Bandcamp page, dumbassyouth.bandcamp.com. And we're going on an East Coast tour, which is April 27 through May 13. Uh, 17 shows in 17 days. Uh, pretty oh, much nice. most of the East Coast of the U.S. Um, playing uh, material inspired by the record it's it's different every night this band doesn't rehearse and we improvise songs on stage uh and i think steve uh is gonna write new words for every show also oh wow <laughs> that's, uh, yeah he's that's he's awesome. unstoppable i mean you know he just he just uh spits gold out every day wow that's great yeah so, so that's out now we're going on going on that tour and then uh, later this year in the fall mssv uh, has our second studio album coming out on big ego records uh early september all right and and your website because you have a website where everyone could see the links to all this stuff on your website. yeah all this stuff is on my website that's just mikebegetta.com there you go all right mike yeah this was this was awesome this was really mainsteamstopvalve.com mainsteamstopvalve also has a website too. okay awesome because we don't want to depend on the social media platforms they could just disappear you know you've got to have some kind of control of no i know it's true it's true and uh mike uh we'll, uh, we'll also have a uh a link all his links up on the uh on the show info for this episode when it comes out don't forget everyone on instagram and facebook you can follow me at, at that record got me high also that facebook group got me high it's a crazy Facebook group that we got going on Twitter. It's at TRGMH Podcast. You can email me at TRGMH33 at gmail.com. Most importantly, if you want to help support the show, become a patron. Go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH. Become a patron of the show. Mike, this really was awesome getting to talk to you about this record. Thanks, Rob. My pleasure. That's it. Hopefully we'll see. God knows what I'll sound like next week. Maybe, uh, you know, what? <laughs> 
like I said, this is it is what it is, folks. But uh, I'm doing the best I can. We'll see you all. Nevertheless, we'll see you all next week. I'm Rob Elba. definitely not free unless you're benjamin franklin with a kite a string and a skeleton key a stormy sky chock full of static walk away when the only payment option is automatic man you're better off sweating or shivering under a tree hallucinating reality